everybody. This is the Comic Book Ben podcast for March 25th, 2012. Uh, today I'm joined by Hervé Saint-Louis, uh, editor-in-chief of the Comic Book Ben. Hi. Um, and also Andy Frisk, who is a writer and also um, an editor at the Comic Book Ben. And today we have a very special guest, author Mike Carey. Say hi, Mike. Say hi. Hi. How are you today? Good. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for joining us. It's awesome to have you uh, be able to have a chance to talk to you again. Um, And we have a lot of stuff to talk about. (laughs) Um, I guess first things first, uh, you have a new book, The Steel Seraglio, uh, which you've co-written with uh, your wife, uh, Linda, and your daughter. Um, I wonder if you would like to uh, tell us a little bit about that. (laughs) Yeah, I'm very happy to. Um, about, about the book or about how it came to be written? Uh, let's, let's go for both. <laughs> okay. Well, the, the story itself is um, it's kind of a, um, a homage to the Arabian Nights. Um, the Arabian Nights was, uh, was our inspiration and our formal model for the story. Um, like the Arabian Nights, it's really a suite of separate stories that kind of builds into a novel by the back door. Now, in the, Ara- in the Arabian Nights, it's the frame story of Shahrazad. Um, that provides that unity. She has to um, uh, convince her husband not to execute her after the wedding night by starting to tell him the story uh, and, and leaving it sort of um, unfinished so that he will spare her for one more day in order to get the end of the story. Um, in, in our novel, uh, the frame story is about a group of women from the Seraglio, the harem. Uh, of a Middle Eastern sultan, uh, set in a, a sort of uh, a near mythical uh, ancient Middle East. Uh, this guy, uh, Bakari al Bakari, has 10 wives, 365 concubines. He likes his pleasures, and uh, uh, one, of the, one of his foremost pleasures is the company of women, uh, to put it politely. Um, and then there is a coup, there is a, there is a violent revolution in Bessa, and he is um, unseated. And, and executed by a religious uh, zealot called Hakim Medad, who is um, ascetic. Uh, he's someone who thinks that the pleasures of the flesh are, are, are uh, wicked and, and uh, are snares for the soul. He has no use for women at all. So he executes the wives as well, and all of the lawful princes and princesses. He doesn't execute the concubines because they don't, don't really pose any kind of threat to him. The, their children can't inherit the throne. So instead, he just gives them away as a gift to a neighboring potentate. He sends them out to the desert with an armed column of men to deliver them to um, the Caliph of Pedondaris, who is like a really, really powerful neighbor. But a day after they leave the city, a serving maid uh, spills the beans to Hakim and says there was actually a legitimate prince in with the bastard children of the concubines, smuggled out alive. So Hakim, in fury, sends a messenger after the column um, with the order, execute the women, execute the children, execute the servants, and come on home. Uh, and our story is the story of how the women um, survive that initial threat, and how they then sort of have to face various um, rigors and tests in the desert, and ultimately decide to form themselves into an army in order to try to retake uh, the city from which they've been exiled. Very cool. Wow. Sounds like it's. Uh... Is it is it more of like a, a an action centric type uh, myth, or is it is it uh, a very character uh, 
oriented piece, or is it a little bit of both? It's um, it's it's a little bit of everything. Uh, one of the amazing things about the Arabian Nights is that um, it, it it completely ignores genre distinctions. You know, there are <laughs> yeah. story, there are stories in there that are, are like pure comedy, slapstick, farce. There are, there's adventure, uh, adventure. There's uh, supernatural stories, horror. Um, the first ever police procedural um, was it was in the Arabian Nights. Uh, there's even a little bit of science fiction. There's a story about a voyage to the moon. Um, so in the same way, you know, we, we, we kind of we have some stories that are, are bawdy, some stories that are funny. Uh, but I guess the spine of it is um, action adventure with a with a little bit of with some supernatural overtones. We, we have a character called Rem. Um, who is able to see the future. She has the gift or the curse um, of second sight. She's able, in fact, to see the whole of past and future time as a, a single tapestry laid out in front of her, which is um, uh, is something of a burden for her. And she's, she's our narrator, and she speaks to us as a contemporary because she can see us. You know, she's, she's experienced our time, um, which means that the tone of the book is sometimes a little... Um, different from the original Arabian Nights. There are some very modern references in it. Um, I, guess, I guess it is character-driven. We have a, a, a triumvirate. We have, well, sorry, not a triumvirate, because a triumvirate is three men. We have three, <laughs> three, three women who are at the heart of the story. There's Ren, uh, who is the narrator, the archivist. There's Zuleika, who is a, a concubine who used to be an assassin and still has the skills. Um, and there's a, an, an older woman called Gassoon, who is kind of um, a, politis, a supreme politician. Uh, somebody who's very intelligent and has a very sort of pragmatic intellect. She's very good at problem problem solving. And then there's a man, Anwar Das, who they meet on their journey, who is probably as important as those three. So how did how did it come about that you uh, you wrote this with your your wife and your daughter? Well, I, I have some form uh, in terms of collaborating with Louise, my daughter. We we wrote uh, Confessions of a Black yeah. Mouth together for the DC uh -huh. Mixit print. Um, and my wife is a, a novelist in her own right. She writes um, YA fantasy uh, under the pseudonym of AJ Lake. Mm -hmm. And it, we talked a lot about maybe eventually uh, doing a book together. And we came up with a very, very rough outline for Steel Seraglio. And it stayed as a very, very rough outline for two years. Uh, every so often we'd have lunch, a uh, working lunch, and we'd sort of thrash out a little bit more detail. But we were taking our own sweet time with it. And then at EasterCon in 2010, um, we met uh, Brett Savory and um, Sandra Casturi, who are basically who are the, the heart and soul of Cheesing Press, Cheesing Publications. And they um, they asked us if we had anything that we would like to pitch to them. So we pitched it uh, cold um, <laughs> over a lot of drinks, and um, they said they really they said they really really liked the idea of the story. They said they would be happy to commission it. And suddenly, you know, it was it was real. So we had to go away and write it. That's great. Sounds like a good uh, strategy there over a lot of drinks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, good... that, that, that tends to be what uh, British conventions are like, I think. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So the book was just recently uh, released, correct? Uh, yes, I think, I think uh, the 15th of March was the release date. Yeah. That's the, uh, yeah. the, the U.S. release date. How's the, uh, what's the reception been like so far? Um, we've had some very good reviews. Um, it's still, you know, the, the rollout's still underway, I think. We got a starred review from Publishers Weekly, which we were very proud of. Um, oh, fantastic. 
we're still waiting to see you know, how it's uh, how it's selling, but um, people seem to like it. Uh, we've done a lot of public readings uh, from it, which we we love. Um, it's very much a read aloud kind of book. You know, it's um, uh, it's kind of it's highly colored material, if I can put it that way. You know, it's it's, it's kind of vivid, vivid and uh, and action packed, and uh, it's fun to read aloud, especially if you have more more than one of us sort of uh, uh, sharing the load and sort of batting it backwards and forwards. <laughs> Andy or uh, Herve, do you have any uh, yeah. have anything to add? Well, I do have one. Um, is there any uh, um, allegory to the Arab Spring or anything similar to that in uh, the story? Um, not directly, no. But it is um, it is a story that's about politics. It's particularly a story about gender politics okay. um, because the, the 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 conceit at the heart of the story is that there was this city. Um, in the ancient Middle East, it was kind of like a, um, not even a proto-democracy, a very, very um, enlightened modern democracy created by these women. And it's really the story of the rise and fall of that state. And through that, we, we explore issues um, relating to um, the treatment of women by men um, and the, the, I guess, the limits of freedom, the limits of free expression. Um, so in that sense, it's, you know, it, it has... It very much has a political um, dimension to it. It doesn't directly reference the present day, though. Okay. Interesting. Uh, Andy? Um, uh, not to necessarily start to get away from uh, the discussion, but I have a question that I've always been dying to ask you, Mr. Carey. Um, <laughs> knowing that you used uh, to teach English and you uh, use a lot of references to different um, literary works in your um in your stories, kind of like with Frankenstein being referenced in the unwritten, and a little bit of a Midsummer Night's Dream and God Save the Queen and things like that. I've always wanted to ask you, what are some of your absolute favorite works of literature, world literature or English literature, um, and what kind um, are the ones you like to read for like fun or inspiration, and what are some of your favorite kinds that you used to like to teach the most? Okay, that, that's uh, that, that's a very wide question. Um, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> my, 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 my favorite works of fiction. Well, so some of them are the ones that we're putting into Unwritten. You know, Unwritten is kind of a license to um, to talk about our favorite stories. So Moby Dick is in there. Yeah, you know, it's no accident that's in there. I think it's it's, it's a great novel. It's a, it's a wonderful read. And it's a novel that repays repeated reading. I love big sprawling books like that. Tristram Shandy, um, which is an 18th century British novel, would also be among my favorites for the same reason. Um, there are some Dickens books that I love. Um, obviously, Our Mutual Friend is very important in The Unwritten. Probably my favorite uh, Dickens is Bleak House. Um, I, I, I Mostly for pleasure, though, these days, I read genre fiction. Um, I was with Howard Chaikin at a, a convention in Norway, Raptus, and he made me a list. He, he was kind of shocked at my ignorance of, uh, of modern thriller writing. So he made me a list of thrillers that I had to read. And uh, that was about a year ago. And I'm happily working my way through the list. So in this last year, I've discovered um, Dennis Lehane and Don Winslow, who I think are you know absolute geniuses uh, in, in, in the thriller genre. Um, Don Winslow's Power of the Dog is kind of like the war and peace of the thriller, it's just, just utterly amazing, well, covering about 30 years of American drug policy uh, in Central and South America. Um, I also love um, China Mievel, yes. uh, the guy who wrote Pretty mm -hmm. Street Station and The City in the City. Yeah. I think you know, everything he writes is, uh, is worth reading, and he's written like three or four 
Bona fide masterpieces. Uh, I love I love Mervyn Peak. I love Ursula Le Guin. I love Rogers Lasney, um, Terry Pratchett, Gene Wolfe. Um, uh, among, among my all time favourites are the four novels that make up um, the the Torturer Quartet. Hmm. That, that's incredibly cool. Um, I, one of the reasons you're my one of my favorite authors of all time and favorite um, comic book authors is, of course, from the Lucifer series. When um, yes. I was in college, I studied Paradise Lost, and that's probably my favorite work of uh, literature. And anytime that you reference, yeah, you're, no. the only, you're the only one I've ever seen reference, like Via Diodati in um, Unwritten. And I was like, oh, wow, that's like a Milton reference. It was just so cool to me. <laughs> it was, yeah, that, that was, you know, we, we keep on having this experience with, with the unwritten that, that, that there are these cool correspondences that we just, we just can't believe that, 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 that they're, they're out there. We discovered them and it's like, um, you know, it's like someone's giving, giving us presents. The fact that Milton stayed at the Villa Diodati when he was, maybe not when he was writing Paradise Lost, but when he was planning Paradise Lost. And of mm -hmm. course, it's where uh, the Shelleys, at their famous party. So Frankenstein and Milton Satan were born in the same house. <laughs> right. It's just, just, just incredible. Um, I, I guess in, in Lucifer, the two most important works that I was referencing were Paradise Lost and Blake's Marriage of Heaven and Hell, um, right. which of course was kind of inspired uh, by Milton. Well, since we were talking about genre fiction, we can't overlook the Felix Castor novels. <laughs> Uh, what uh, what's the status of that series right now, Mike? Is there uh, new books coming out, or um, I've, I've written five, um, three three have been published in the U.S., five have been published in the U.K. Uh, I'm commissioned to write a sixth book. Um, I've actually it, 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 it's kind of weird because it looks as though I've given up on on prose fiction. And I haven't at all. I've been writing these um, I've been writing these strange conspiracy thrillers under a pseudonym. Um, <laughs> Uh, ah. I delivered two of those, uh, and the pseudonym that that that, that was because um, apparently it's easier to persuade like supermarket buyers to buy a book in huge numbers if it's a first novel by a new author than it is if it's a an established author moving from a less commercial genre. <laughs> so so I became uh, um, somebody else to write these two books. Um, and then, of course, I was, I was also writing Steel Serenity at the same time. So the next Mike Carey novel that comes out, um, hopefully, will not be cast as six. Um, it's going to be uh, a book called Death of the Maiden, which is kind, kind of about zombies. Um, it's about a lot of other stuff as well. Uh, and then after that, uh, the sixth cast of the novel. I'll finally get around to writing it. Great. Can't wait. Those are... Uh... Those are awesome books. <laughs> I, I, I love the character. I love I love writing Caster. We we've actually been talking about maybe making the point of view character in the sixth book be different. Um, Caster would still be the Caster would still be the protagonist, but it might be told from Juliet's point of view, possibly. Okay, cool. <laughs> so shall we talk the unwritten a little more? <laughs> okay, I think we're <laughs> I think at the uh, the juncture we're at uh, in the unwritten, it's uh, I don't know. I, I think it's safe to say my mind was blown uh, after issue thirty five. <laughs> um, it's funny because uh, I think we had talked about this once before about uh, Lost and how we were both kind of uh, ambivalent on 
the ending of the series. Yeah, <laughs> and I feel like uh, you and Peter have kind of taken up uh, that charge of uh, <laughs> setting things right with um, um, uh, comprehensive uh, epics that actually have a uh, conceivable ending. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because someone was saying in one of the reviews uh, of, the, of that issue that um, that there is a problem with books that uh, that come in on a high and then disappoint at the end. A kind of a bad ending will taint a whole series retrospectively. Yeah. Um, he went on. To, he went on to say that he didn't think that was doing that. He said he thought thirty five would have made it would have would have made a good uh, a good climax of the series because it's not yeah. a climax. It's kind of just the end of a movement. Yeah, no, it it does feel like the climax of the series, actually. I mean, you see, well, spoiler alert, <laughs> we see the end of uh, Pullman, but um, you almost kind of forget there's there's so much going on in the series that you forget about uh, other things. Well, of course, there's uh, Sue Morgenstern on the you know uh, periphery of everything all the time, and yep. um, uh, the rabbit. Uh, <laughs> Mr. <Bob. laughs> yeah, uh, who we haven't seen in quite some time. Um, he's in. He's in thirty six. He comes back great. in thirty six. Awesome. Yeah, awesome. So, are we back to a monthly uh, format then with thirty six, or are we going to keep going for twice a month? Um, back back to a monthly format. Uh, okay. So that so that Peter doesn't die of a heart attack. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, well, it, we we really really wanted to do the point fives and it's it's yeah it's, it's been hard it's been it's been hard to sort of keep everything on track and not to miss a deadline but we we, we love doing them and we will we'll probably do them again at some there's, there's there's another point later on in the series where where that approach would probably work again we we found it really really fun to do one of the great things about um, the point fives was that you had all of these really fantastic artists Dean Ormstone and um, uh, Gary Erickson, uh, it was just amazing. But one of the, you, you covered pretty much <laughs> every uh, conceivable age of humanity. It seemed like. <laughs> um, yeah, it, that, that was that was that was one of the reasons to do it. You had to have that freedom to be able to sort of uh, touch on all this backstory. Yeah. Um, can you tell us what we can expect in the, uh, the upcoming issues as far as? Um, stories that will be visited and time periods that will be that will be uh, seen in, in the in the upcoming arcs. Well, there's um, it, it's it's probably not too much of a, a spoiler to say that when we rejoin Tom in issue thirty-seven, thirty-six is a is a one-off, um, and it's it's set it's, it's set in the world of story, but not in any one particular story, uh, and, it, and it revisits uh, not just Mister Bum but uh, several other characters. Uh, who we've seen before, and then with thirty-seven we come back to Tom and uh, Richie, but a whole year has passed, uh, and a lot has happened in that year, and, and we find them in a very different place from where we left them, uh, and we will then go back and fill in the uh, the missing pieces of that story, but um, it's very much looking at the the aftermath of the events of the War of Words, and particularly the wounding of Leviathan by Pullman. Very cool. At the end of that story, uh, the, the the stuff you know going forward that is that is very Leviathan centric. Um, Madame Rausch is going to come back in. Um, mm -hmm. 
Pullman isn't going to come back in, but uh, he's, he's far he's, he's far from out of the picture. There's there's things that uh, that's happened that's all kind of relevant to him and to what he was doing. So it's um, yeah, we we we, we kind of see it as um, you know the, the next movement in the in the symphony or whatever. It, it's um, it's the start of a lot of new stuff, but it's all it's still paying off the things that we've already seeded. Yeah. Oh, and we have um, we have a, a new we have a new character who comes in with thirty five and a half, and then we have another new character who comes in with thirty seven, who we're, we're having a, a, a real um, a really good time writing. Uh, she's she's a, a black Australian detective, um, and her name is is Didge Sandra Didge Patterson. Interesting. And uh, yeah, she's she's one to watch. Very cool. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, some of those issues, the point five issues, were just really fantastic, especially the one that went into uh, Poland's backstory, and he tied in the, um, the whole Epic of Gilgamesh with it. Yeah, that was um, cool. I love those kind of issues, and uh, to me, it's kind of a hallmark of a really great series that you can continue with these really wonderful arcs, but then you can have these one-offs that just recast the whole story in a new light or expand it, and are just so intelligent that that's why I think the written is definitely one of the the best series ever to come out of Virgo. Um, they want to thank thank you very much. I, it, it, I guess it's something that I learned from you know from reading Sandman way back in the day that you can you can really have your cake and eat it with a one off. You can you can you can jump mm-hmm. sideways from the main narrative and do stuff that you couldn't do in the main narrative, and yet you can still. Uh, feedback into the main narrative in unexpected ways. You know, you can you can set stuff up. Um, you 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 can play riffs on themes that you're developing in the main narrative and so on. You know, all of those point fives. They were in the end. They were relevant to what happens in in thirty five. You know, to what happens in the climax of the arc. They seemed like they were discursive, but they were sorry. They felt like they were uh, diversions, but they're not really. <laughs> they're also the perfect kind of issues to introduce somebody to the series to, which. I don't know if that's kind of what it's meant to be as well, but it, it, they really are perfect because they're self-contained stories that you can read and understand and enjoy, but also teach your interest in what the overall bigger story is. And I think that's a brilliant way of doing that too. Yeah, that 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 that's also a yeah, it's icing on the cake, I guess. But it, it, mm-hmm. it was it, it was not it was not originally the plan. Um, it, it was kind of weird how they evolved because originally we had the go-ahead to do some extra issues, but they were going to be a mini-series. Um, mm-hmm. We would do a four or five part mini. Oh wow! A series set in Oxford in the nineteen forties. They were going to be about the uh, you know the, the the literary group that, that included Tolkien and C.S. Lewis and Charles Williams. Um, in England, in but yes. yeah, we talked we talked to we, we talked to um, DC Legal and well we didn't talk to DC Legal but um, uh, the, the the editors on the book did and uh, there there are there are some potential. Pitfalls there. You know, the Tolkien estate is is very um, wary um, about being used, about having Tolkien's work or Tolkien's likeness used in ways that might detract from his reputation. And, and um, there, there, there were things that we wanted to do. And not not that we were going to badmouth Tolkien, we weren't. But um, there were things that we wanted to do that would have been difficult to do, uh, that would have potentially um, caused problems. So I, I suggested. Uh, you know, Peter and I had a long talk. Weekend, and then I put it put together a completely different pitch for the for the point fives and how the point fives would tie in with the regular issues. I did a kind of uh, jigsaw map 
of the regular issues in the point fives, and um, Karen approved it. Very cool. Yeah, I remember we had talked about the, uh, the Inklings at one point in uh, one of our interviews, and I had been waiting for that for so long. <laughs> it, may, it may still happen. It may still happen, yeah. but, but, but we'll probably do it within the uh, with main story arc now. Great. Because we, we did a hell of a lot of research for that. Yeah, we, we, got, we got all this stuff just sitting around waiting to be used. Yeah. But there's, there's a wonderful um, biography by Humphrey Carpenter, um, which I think might, might just be called The Inklings. Uh, he, he'd already done uh, a biography of Tolkien, and then he did this to sort of give um, context to the earlier book. It's really, really good. Interesting. One of the, uh, I guess, in, in regards to the, the point five issues, one of the things, um, on top of what Andy was saying, one of the things that those seemed to be really great for was, um, at least in issue 35, everything started to make sense. But because of the point five issues, there's still these little uh, mysteries that exist. Like, uh, um, there were certain things about Pullman's uh, right hand that haven't been fully explained yet. And, yep. Yep. and uh Several other things. Um, was uh, Roush? How does Roush go from yeah. being um, uh, that, that 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 little girl to the uh, the scary old lady that we know? What's her agenda? I mean, her agenda exactly. is all completely mysterious. I think. Yeah. <laughs> so yes, we 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 we. we uh, I, I think I think what we did with the point with the point fives um, more than anything else was that we 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 kind of shifted the center of gravity so that when we came to the uh, the big, big page woman, it kind of meant something different than it would have meant a year before. Um, there, was, there was more stuff feeding into it, more strands feeding into it. We knew more about him, we knew more about Leviathan. Um, so it was, it was, yeah, it was, a, it was a, an interesting experiment in how to, how to structure those reveals. Mm-hmm. Um, with the unwritten, do you have um, a certain amount of story that you're planning to tell, like you have an issue count idea, kind of, or is it kind of just open-ended and you haven't really figured out the ending yet? We, we, know, we know the ending. Um, I, I guess the answer, the answer is both of those apply, because we do know the ending. Um, we're, we're building towards something very specific with Tom. Um, actually, let me, let me sort of uh, clarify that. We know his ending. The, 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 right. the, the, the big climax and Tom's fate is already... Um, uh, very, very much sort of set in stone. There's lots of stuff along the way that is still flexible. There are lots of different ways of getting to that end point. And um, we, we we kind of experienced this with Lucifer, that you, you reach a certain point in the structure of the story and you're kind of having to choose what you can tell and what you can't. You know, it could be infinite because there's, there's so many things that you could explore. But realistically... You have to you have to trace a line through the material that gets you to X, you know, that gets you to this endpoint. So we're thinking in terms of we, we're probably at the halfway mark now. We're thinking in terms of seventy to eighty issues. Mm. Uh, can we take a, a kind of a clue from Lucifer with the way it ended to the kind of the way it's going with the unwritten? You seem to have um, some of your stories. They're, they're often thematically. To me, it seems like you're telling a story of how we need to transcend beyond our current beliefs or our current story systems and start anew and recognize the human element of it all. We kind of head in the same direction. 
Yeah, I, I, I think that is one of the themes here, or rather not um, transcend. I mean, I, 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 I guess the way, the way Peter always puts it is that story is sick. That in our age there is a kind of um, a kind of um, weakening of our connection to story, and he thinks of things like um, the political narratives of the present day and things yeah. like reality reality TV and celebrity. He thinks of them as kind of like um, almost like tumors, like diseased offshoots of story. Um, right. And he and he thinks that if, if if people had a more a more sort of powerful and visceral connection to uh, to story, that they would be less swayed by things like that. Um, so I, th- I think, we, yeah, I think we're exploring different ways in which stories can can mean for us, different ways in which stories can matter in our lives. And kind of, we're not going to about um, there's no good or bad, but there's definitely a sense I think that um, societies are are shaped, are, are um, determined. By their relationship to story and by the kinds of stories that they tell about themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's fascinating. Yeah, one of the uh, there was one thing. Um, speaking of uh, the political narrative and everything, uh, there was one story in the unwritten that seemed particularly timely, and that was the uh, the Tinker arc, um, where at the end. Uh, you kind of <laughs> it kind of ties into the whole Sopa Pippa and uh, copyright um, uh, craziness that was going on at the time. Um, was that uh, intentional? Did you did you guys put that to get together at that time um, for that purpose? Or it it was it was it wasn't intentional to refer to um, I mean, some of that thing that was just serendipity. It was just the, the just 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 weird timing. But um, we we did want to explore work for hire and the you know, the uniqueness of the comics industry in that respect. Um, and we'd originally wanted to do it through referring to real real comic characters. We had hoped at one stage that we could have Superman in the book. Oh. Um, but we couldn't um, because you know it was it was it was way way too loaded. Um, yeah, and so yeah. We, we 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 decided to create the Tinker as our own sort of um, our own proto superhero, and actually that turned out to be the right way to go. I think we, because we were able to do things with the Tinker that we couldn't have done with Superman. Exactly, um, and Milton is a character who we'll come back to. Um, Great. If I imagine it's like in 36, that issue with Mr. Bum, but he gets to meet Mr. Bum. Um, <laughs> so this is really went to, to Bum's stairway? <laughs> yes, that's right. Um, <laughs> in fact, he gets to pull Mr. Bum out of a hat, which, which is a scene that I've been, I've been aching to write for ages. <laughs> someone pulling Mr. Bum out of a hat. That's great. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think we, we, you know, we, we were deliberately talking about um, the way the comics industry works and the way um, the position of, positioning of creators in the comics industry. Um, so M- Miriam uh, was a character who we, we both um, felt a strong attachment to. Yeah. She's, one, she's one of our favorite characters in the series. Peter, Peter wants to bring her back somehow. I, 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 oh, I'm, not sure that, I'm not sure that we can, but I, I, it would be fun to go back and maybe have a, uh, a flashback to her life. Yeah. Well, I can see why, uh, why you weren't able to use Superman. Uh, <laughs> at the end of that arc, I was like, oh man. I can't believe uh, <laughs> we're going to let him publish this. 
Because it, it sort of vilifies, it sort of vilifies DC and Marvel, you know, uh, a little bit. At, at least it uh, it calls into question some of the um, some of the practices that have been used by comics publishers yeah. um, in in the in their long history. I guess in the same way that um, uh, Adventures of Cavalier and Clay does. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's covering some of the same ground. So you know, if, it blows, if it blows up in our faces, we'll just hide behind Michael Chabon. I think. So. <laughs> That's a good good call. One of the interesting things about that story arc, too, when you talk about story and how it, um, it relates to society and um, offshoots and everything, the author was a female of the character, but she had to kind of write her pen name. Um, and like nowadays, though, there's tons of female authors that are just huge right now. You have the, the Hunger Games, you have Twilight, you have um, those authors. And it's easy to forget that, you know, what's 100 years ago, it was, it was really different. And uh, I think it's fascinating how you, um, it can be a tough time to look back at how things have changed as well. Yeah, change, change, change to the better, thank God. But actually, yeah, there, yeah, there, there again, you know, it's, it's, it's a live issue, isn't it? But there are so few female creators in comics. Mm-hmm. And, um, mm-hmm. did, you, did you hear what Paul Cornell was doing at the London Comic Con? No. This, uh, this thing where yeah. um, if he's invited onto a panel... Um, he stands down and gets a woman to uh, a female creator to take his place because he uh, he wants gender equality. In oh, wow. He, he, he wants um, to try to sort of promote um, the importance of female creators by making sure that they're represented at conventions, which I think is a great thing. That is. Yeah. He really he really kind of won me over. Uh, I saw him last year at San Diego, and um, I think there was this this feeling of disenchantment with. Um, where Barbara Gordon was going as a character with a new 52. And um, Paul was really trying his best to kind of address that with um, uh, the horsewoman character and uh, all the other characters in um, Demon Knights. And I could really see, I could really see that he was, he was genuinely trying to, you know, uh, rebridge that gap. And uh, yeah, and he, he's, he seems like a really great guy. Yeah, I think I think he is. Uh, he, all all his instincts are, are good ones. Speaking of which, uh, I guess we have to plug uh, Saucer Country as an awesome uh, addition to the yeah. Vertigo lineup. <laughs> That's a great I'm look forward so to far. Yeah, yeah. He 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 told me um, about the premise of that when he was first pitching it. It sounds like a great book. Yeah, it's the first issue out now. Yeah, it, it came out. Was it a week or two ago? Okay, I think it was. It must have been last week, but uh, yeah, it was a pretty great uh, introduction to the series. Um, I was uh, was a little short, but um, I'm okay with that as long as it as it continues to be uh, a stellar book, you know. <laughs> yeah, but he's a he's a great fit at Vertigo. It, it, it's he's uh, yeah, it feels it feels right that he should be should have a presence at Vertigo. Yeah. Yeah, the premise of that book is, is really fascinating with the uh, female candidate for president and then who is abducted by aliens. And it's just so interesting to see where it's going to go. But it has that feel of being a perfect vertigo kind of book. Um, I plan on reviewing it. I haven't got to it yet, but I, I love it very much. It was really good. Mm-hmm. I will definitely be picking it up. There's also an interesting parallel between the immigration debate and uh, whatever's going on with the actual you know, uh, UFO aliens. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm interested in seeing how that plays out. 
but um, speaking of vertigo, is there anything else um, uh, big coming down the pipe in in the next few months from vertigo? Well, we have um, we have another unwritten related uh, project which we can't announce yet, um, but which um, is actually very very far advanced. Uh, hopefully, we'll be able to announce it soon. Um, something another kind of adjunct to the main series, <laughs> which we've been working on, working on for quite a long time. Um, I've been pitching some some other stuff at Vertigo, but uh, you know, in the immediate future, the unwritten is still is going to carry on being the only the only comic book that I'm writing because I've been doing a lot of a lot of prose stuff and a lot of screenplay work, um, which is it's, yeah, it's, 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 there's been a bit of a shift in uh, in the balance of my working life. I, I hope I'll I hope I'll, I hope I will shift back again. I, I want to do more comics work, but uh, I think 2012 will be a year where uh, I just keep on written going. I, I get all this other stuff out of my system, and then maybe next year uh, start doing more comics again. <laughs> um, are there any other um, we talked about turning back to comics and you just finished up a run on X-Men Legacy which was really great um, are there any other characters out there like mainstream characters established that you just kind of itching to get a crack at eventually or have kind of wanted to write and haven't had the opportunity to yet um, I would love to write Doctor Strange I, I, I got to write him once <laughs> I, did a, I did a prose short story for a Doctor Strange anthology which was um, about his first visit to the realm of Dormammu mm. uh, I, I would love to do a Doctor Strange or you have to, to have a crack at a, a Doctor Strange monthly uh, although he seldom seems to thrive uh, as a solo um, protagonist in a monthly mm. but it would be cool to do that um, Grant Morrison's Doom Patrol <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, that would be amazing. <laughs> I would love to to revive that classic lineup. You know. Yeah, that would be great. I think that's the best superhero series of all time. It might be. It's <laughs> it's that good. Are, are you still ex exclusive to Marvel, even though your legacy run is done, or are you um, just doing work for hire now? Uh, assuming that you go back to mainstream comic books. No, I'm freelancing again. Yeah, okay, uh, my, my my exclusive uh, expired in January, so uh, yeah, I'm okay. officially freelance. So maybe we'll see a Detective Comics by Mike Carey someday, huh? <laughs> <laughs> that'd be cool. That would be yeah. Cool. Um, I think that'd be great. Well, I'd love to see this Doctor Strange happen because I think he's one of the most underused characters in the Marvel universe that really has a good niche that they could build something around. Mm -hmm. I think you'd be the perfect person for it too. Oh, yeah. so that's my vote. <laughs> that'd, <Yeah>. <laughs> that'd be great. It'd be great to try, try that. The unfortunate thing is that um, Marvel seems to be uh, hesitant to launch um, anything too uh, risky right now. And it looked like that Victor Von Doom uh, miniseries that was coming out from uh, Nick Spencer, that looked pretty incredible. And then it, it, it got um, scrapped right before it was released, unfortunately. And uh, we haven't really been seeing a whole lot of uh, um, innovative, yeah, innovative stuff coming out of them for uh, the past couple of weeks or months. I, I guess these things always go in cycles, don't they? Um, yeah, yeah. DC has been making the weather with the uh, the new Fifty Two. Mm -hmm. I'm, sure, I'm sure there will be, uh, yeah, 
they'll, they'll, they'll retrench and then they'll come back. It just, it's really, I really admire DC's ability and desire to keep things like Vertigo going there because you don't see that from uh, Marvel or from some of the other big guys. Um, they really do take, um, they do some experimental stuff and some innovative stuff. And, you know, like I said, that's why, you know, not to harp on Doctor Strange, but if Marvel ever wanted to try to do something like that, that would be the kind of character they'd move in that direction, but they just don't seem interested in doing that. <laughs> yeah, uh, and you know, maybe you know, in the old days, before before the Disney um, takeover, you could say it was because of the different organizational structure, you know, because they didn't have a mega corporation behind them. But now mm-hmm. they kind of do. Now they kind of do. So um, yeah, wouldn't that be cool if there, was, if there was another Vertigo? If there was a Marvel Vertigo. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That'd be good. I, I feel like Icon never uh, fit that niche. You know, it's it's still pretty. No, because it was purely for um, creator own projects from their, um, yeah. you know, their, 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 their sort of top flight yeah, um, exactly. creators. It was a much more, more, more a narrower and more specific thing. Mm-hmm. I, I love Vertigo. I love what Vertigo has been able to do. You know, that they, you know, whoever called it the, the HBO of comics, you know what he was talking about. But, but, yeah. It's not comics, it's Vertigo, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I'm kind of... Uh, I guess we were all kind of biting our nails um, before, uh, you know, Saucer Country came out and stuff because Scout, which is uh, one of the greatest series I think that's ever seen print, uh, is coming to an end very soon. And um, we've lost several other great Vertigo books too, like Unknown Soldier and... Uh, Northlanders, just ended. North, yep, Northlanders. Uh, DMZ ended a little while ago and... Uh, um, I don't know, I guess we were all kind of uh, fidgeting, you know, <laughs> wondering what was next. But um, there's still some great stuff like Sweet Tooth and, of course, The Unwritten, I think, is probably one of the uh, the, the best books on the market right now. And um, Fables is great. So there's still a strong lineup. <laughs> yep. And, you know, Faith Fables continues to, uh, to expand and to, uh, to, 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 to throw off other cool stuff. I, I, it, it's interesting, isn't it? Because Vertigo always goes through these, um, these kind of diastolic and systolic phases. Um, yeah. everyone, everyone sort of fretted when Sandman ended. Everyone fretted when Preacher ended. And you'd always get people asking, is this the end for Vertigo? And it never is, you know. They, they, they uh, they, they, they go through lean years, but they, they, they always keep on doing cool stuff. Yeah, well, I, I definitely hope to see even more cool stuff coming out uh, within the next year or so. Sorry, Dan, I lost you there for a second. Nope, nope, nope. It's just no one is not saying anything, that's all. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess, let, let me break the ice. Um, how is it working with the um, artists? Like, how, how do you work with them? Um, it, it it kind of depends how well I know them. Obviously, with Peter, um, we we've got a, a relationship now that goes back like ten years, um, and, and we know each other's methods of working very very well. And so I write very loosely for Peter, um, and I'm used to him um, taking the script as a starting point, but doing other things, and then coming back with uh, with his own ideas. Um, we'd already got into those, those those sort of habits of working on Lucifer. But it's much more the case with Unwritten because Unwritten is, is really, you know, very much our joint uh, creative property. 
we were very much involved in the storytelling. Um, so for Peter, I'll, I'll, I'll write the script like a dialogue with him, and I'll say, you know, maybe maybe do this, maybe do that. And it's much more chatty and, and informal. Uh, if I'm working with someone I don't know, I'll tend to write in a very full, um, very explicit, very detailed way. And then, you know, we'll work something out as we go along. It changes, changes uh, as, we, as we work through a, an arc or a series or whatever. Um, one, of the, one, of, one of the wonderful things about the, the Point Five issues was, you know, getting to work with people like Luta, um, Brian Talbot, um, mm -hmm. Gabriel Hernandez, Walter, um, Dean Ormston again. Yay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it was just, it was just brilliant. Yeah, I think uh, Dean has to be one of my favorite artists, and that goes all the way back to his work on Lucifer. You know, <laughs> I think a lot of a lot of um, the things that I, I really enjoy about the Unwritten are things that directly remind me of Lucifer. And there was a cool little Easter egg in uh, was it issue number thirty-five with the uh, the False Knight <laughs> that. Uh, Oh yeah, yeah. That harkens back to the uh, the first story of uh, what, your Lucifer miniseries, I think. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And then structurally, yeah, structurally, the unwritten follows the same pattern as Lucifer, mm -hmm. I think. You know, the inter interspersing the one-offs with the with the longer arcs, and we use the one-offs very much in the same way that we use them in Lucifer. Mm -hmm. And. Um, the cool thing about the unwritten is that Peter gets to be involved in the one-offs. So the, the, the Lucifer, it was like Peter did the long arcs and Dean did the one-offs. Mm -hmm. and, and, and Peter would often look at the scripts of the one-offs and say, I want to draw that. He's especially uh, possessive of Mr. Bun. Uh, he always does uh, the layouts on the Mr. Bun issues. <laughs> Those are always fantastic issues. And the finishes that you guys get, um, I guess... The artist doesn't come to my mind uh, immediately, but his his or her work on on those finishes are absolutely incredible. But on the on those Mr. Bun issues, or? yes. Uh, the for the first one was um, Kurt Huggins and Zelda Devon. Um, yes. And the second one was that was uh, Al Davison. Okay. Um, and the third one is going to be Rufus Stegler. Nice. Of, 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 of Tank Girl fame. And yeah. The God, they're gorgeous. I've just seen the, uh, I've seen the colored art now, the fully colored art. And it's, um, it's just astonishing. It's, it's going to be a really, really beautiful issue. So what, uh, you had mentioned that you're going to be working on, well, I know that you've already had, um, some screenplays, uh, out there, um, some have been optioned or whatever. Or have you had any, um, uh, news on those or have any new things in circulation that you can tell us about? Oh, so is there, was that this screenplay stuff? Um, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, um, actually, um, the, the, the vampire movie that I wrote uh, a couple of years back, um, which is kind of, it's kind of a, um, how can I put it? It's, it's, a, it's a movie about vampire terrorists. It's a movie where basically there's a political edge to what's going on. It's about vampire supremacists who believe that vampires should rule the world and who are uh, making life difficult for the ordinary peaceable vampires who are trying to integrate. Um, so it's kind of about Al-Qaeda and um, the, the relationship uh, between you know, them and you know, like or ordinary law-abiding Muslims. Um, that 
there's going to be an announcement very soon. Uh, in fact, at the Cannes Film Festival this year. Oh wow! So that's um, I'm very very excited about that. Um, especially now that I know who they've got lined up to direct it. Uh, I, I can't say too much about that yet because they're, they're obviously going to handle the uh, the announcements themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't want to preempt that, but that's um, that's looking very promising. Uh, I'm working with a British director, Colin McCarthy, uh, who did an amazing movie called Outcast, very low-budget horror film, uh, but he also does lots of TV stuff. Um, Endeavour, the, uh, the, the Inspector Morse prequel series. Mm-hmm. He, he, he works on that, and um, he's done stuff for Midsummer Murders and things like that. Um, okay. And we're working on a, a story which is um, actually it's the same as the the novel that I'm writing, Death in the Main. It's a story about uh, it's a sort of post post zombie Holocaust novel. Um, Shows some places that a lot of zombie stories don't go. Um, so well, yeah, we're possibly doing that as a movie, and we're pitching some TV stuff as well. Um, talking about the possibility of an unwritten TV series, although it's, oh, wow. it's way, way, way too, way, way too early to say, <laughs> say that, you know, well, that, it's, an, that it's likely to happen, but it could, it could happen. As an animation, yeah, it would. Sorry, animated. Uh, no, real live action. Okay, no, I was uh, just saying that animated, it would work. <laughs> yes, it would. It would. It's true. Yeah, totally. Um, but uh, yes, yeah, so, so, so there's a lot, a lot of stuff going on in screenplay uh, terms. But it's um, yeah, the nature of these things is that they take ages and ages yeah. um, in development, and then they can just fizzle out. Yeah. Yeah. The 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 ghost, the ghost the ghost story that I wrote, Frost Flowers. Um, yeah, it seemed 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 it, it seemed it. That's why the boy crashed and burned. It didn't happen. You know, they had, they had Holly Hunter. Lined up to play the female lead and yeah. stuff like that, and then um, the producer fell out with the director, and the whole thing just just stopped. So is that? Uh, I mean, that's that's still kind of out there in limbo, though. That might get picked up by somebody, or it's conceivable. Yeah, in fact, I I, I met the director um, Andrea Vecchiato, uh mm-hmm. at London London Comic Con this year. He's back in films, having spent uh, a few years doing nothing but photography. Uh, he's, he's an incredible photographer. He did this. This uh, he had an exhibition recently in London um, of fo- photos of the members of the Groundshell Club, uh, <laughs> naked, nudes. Um, there's all, all, all these sort of famous British act- actresses who volunteered to, to to be shot nude by him. But it was it was a wonderful exhibition. <laughs> but he's yeah he's, he's back he's back doing movies again. So it's probably the boss happy in some form. That's great. Um, so, um, are you gonna come uh, over like America for the comic book season, um, the comic book convention season this year? I'm, I'm, I'm going to be at San Diego. Okay. Um, Woohoo! <laughs> for, for, for the first time in three years, it's uh, yeah. really looking forward to that. And um, I, I may possibly uh, uh, sneak across to Canada in November because. Um, uh, World Fantasy Con is going to be there. Uh, what city? Uh, uh, so, sorry, what uh, city? Uh, Toronto, I oh, believe. Then I'll be there. Uh, I, I was in Toronto last year for um, the the uh, speculative fiction okay. uh, symposium, just for one day, which is great. It's a, I really, really enjoyed it. It's a lovely city. 
there's, there's, there's a really cool literary convention in Ottawa that I've been to twice, but that was the only part of Canada that I'd, that I'd ever seen. And going, going to Toronto last year was great. And uh, they, 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 our publishers uh, for Still Seraglio, it's a Canadian um, publisher based, based in Toronto. So it'd be cool to hang out with those guys again. Cool. Yeah. Very cool. Well, we're, uh, are you, are you going to be part of a, a vertical, uh, vertigo panel in uh, San Diego this year? I hope so, yeah. Um, <laughs> I'll be very disappointed if I'm not. Although, <laughs> annoyingly, annoyingly, Shelly Bond is probably not either. Um, the year I decided to come, she, she's, uh, she's, she's busy on Swirls because she's now taken over as, as the editor of the book. Okay. Oh, okay. Uh, so it would have been cool to, to have some you know, face-to-face time with her. But uh, no, it's going to be great going to San Diego. I, I've really missed it the last couple of years. Yeah. Well, we'll uh, hopefully we'll see you there. <laughs> that'd be great. Uh, yeah, I'll yeah. buy you guys, buy you guys a drink. Oh, that'd be well, great. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll be there for sure. We'll be there yeah. this year in San Diego. Excellent. Okay. <laughs> so that that actually brings up a good point. I wanted to talk to you about um, you recently. Well, not not very recently. Maybe a year ago, you lost. Uh, uh, you had an editorial switch. I wanted to ask you how how things are going. Uh, as far as that, because I know Pornsec was uh, very instrumental in some of the um, conceptualizing of the series. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Um, I'm going to leave it. You know, we, we knew uh, for quite a long time in advance that he was going. Um, the, the Unwritten requires um, a very specific kind of editorial um, intervention. Uh, because we, we, we do everything through phone calls. We do everything through long, long conversations. It has to be phone calls because Peter's based in Minnesota and I'm in the UK. Um, so we talk for hours um, each week about, about what we're doing. And you know, it's the editor who facilitates that and um, kind of moderates it. So we were worried when Paul and left because we, you know, we, we weren't sure that we could do what we did with him, with another editor. But actually it worked fine because... Um, you know, we had Karen uh, for a year, and now we've got Shelley, and um, they're, they're, they're both people we've worked with before and trust, know and trust, and um, they, 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 they both got it, and it's, 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 it's been fine. I mean, it, the transition is obviously terrifying, but it's been fine. Um, touch wood. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, 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 we do miss Ponce, though. Ponce was, was such a... Um, an important part of setting the book up. You know, we, we could we could not have got the book off the slipway without him. Mm-hmm. And we still talk to him. You know, he's uh, he's out in uh, California now, um, living the dream, oh, working, yeah. <laughs> in the, working, in the, working in the movie industry. We're working in the uh, the the, um, the comics into film bit of Warner, um, cool. and, and and enjoying it. You know, re- really sort of uh, getting a lot out of it. That's great. Well, you guys can pat yourself on the back and say that you were his uh, launching pad into film now. Huh? <laughs> and it would be, yeah, it would be cool for that reason if, if, uh, if, if the unwritten did sort of make it in uh, TV or movie form. Mm-hmm. And, and if Pornsite then had a, had a hand. Great. Yeah. Yeah. So what, uh, is there anything going on that's, that's, uh, that you're really interested in lately, like uh, as far as comics go or um, television or anything like that? 
um, television, I'm absolutely hooked on Sons of Anarchy at the moment. Oh, yeah? <laughs> um, having discovered it very late, um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm only on season two, but Jesus Christ, it's good. Um, <laughs> it's, it's kind of, it's Hamlet. It's Hamlet set in a bike, uh, against the backdrop of a biker gang. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, beautifully acted and, and impeccably scripted. And, you know, it, it, it portrays this kind of violent... Um, sexist world um, with, with, with ruthless clarity and still makes you care about the characters you know, still makes the characters um, matter to you um, what else are we watching at the moment um, we're into the first season of United States of Tara which was a series written by Diablo Cody yes uh, the, 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 who did the screenplay for Juno and uh, Young Adult Mm-hmm. And we're enjoying that. It's kind of, it's, kind of, uh, it's, it's a silly subject, um, dissociative identity disorder, mm-hmm. but it's, uh, but it's fun. It's done with verve and gusto. Um, and we're watching Big Bang Theory, uh, which we, we nice. were yeah. well, <laughs> very much really enjoying. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. Um, just got to the, the season four finale, you know, the, uh, the shocker, um, Penny, Penny sleeping with uh, with Raj. Raj, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> we're waiting to see the fallout from that. Uh, in terms of comics, um, I'm not reading very much at the moment uh, because I, I, I'm reading a lot of uh, a lot of prose, a lot of, a lot of um, thrillers. I've got a big stack of comics in bed that's uh, including you know most of the the new Fifty Two stuff. I read the first issues and then fell way behind, so I've got to catch up on on, on most of those. Oh, you know the only one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we were just talking about that last week. How uh, it's kind of uh, part of our vocation is reading comic books, and we've we've all got stacks of unread comic books just sitting around. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, the the, uh, the 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 floor on my side of the bed is is very very difficult to navigate. Yeah, the stacks of books, the stacks of comics. Uh, I'll, have, I'll have to tell my uh, my fiance I'm not the only one then. <laughs> yeah, I gotta make sure my wife listens to this because she's always getting on me, you know, on me about that same thing. <laughs> well, we found a, a common thread. Now we can <laughs> now we can cover yeah. our domestication. Professor Novels, Darren Nash, he he had a lot of his comics in storage in Australia. He lives in lives in the UK. And then he brought them, brought them across, and um, his wife basically, you know, she looked at these long boxes and she said, "No, <laughs> she said, keep, 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 keep maybe a third of them, so that we've got some space that we can actually live and move around in." <laughs> so he had, to, he had to get rid of a lot of these comics that he'd been storing for ages. I, yeah. I was the beneficiary of some of that stuff. He said, "Yeah, would you, would you like all of these early Vertigo books?" <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> You were in league with his wife. I think you were. Uh, I think you paid her off. <laughs> I, I resent that implication. I approve. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I think we had mentioned it last week. A, a great TV series that I would recommend is uh, Awake, which I think is only in its fourth week um, this week, or maybe it's the fifth. But uh, really fantastic series about a, a man. Who uh, he's a he's a police detective, LAPD uh, detective, uh, who's in a car car accident, and when he wakes up, uh, his son is dead and his wife is still alive. But when he goes to sleep, 
he wakes up again and his wife is dead and his son is alive. And the show is about these two different realities that he lives through and the, uh, the cases that he solves in each reality that kind of, uh, intermingle. It, it's really interesting stuff. That does, that does sound interesting. Okay, I'll, I'll definitely yeah. check that out. And someone yeah. just recommended Community to me. Yeah, oh, that's a great show. That's funny. So I'm going to be picking that up. I see from there. Okay, um, I think we're at the one hour mark. Um... Yeah, Mike, I know it's it's late for you out there. I didn't want to I didn't want to keep you too late, so I figured I'd um, see if uh, you had anything else you wanted to add, or if if we should let you go. Uh, but I, I, I guess I, 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 I better bail because um, I, I, I do have some more work to do before I sleep. Okay. But uh, sure, uh, look, pleasure to talk, guys. Uh, no, it was great having you. Yeah, it was great. Thank you very much for joining us. And keep us uh, keep us up to date on what's going on with um, uh, everything as far as the unwritten, and and we'll be sure to. Sure to let our, our listeners and our readers know. Yeah, um, cool. I'll Mike, definitely do that. Yeah, one last question, Mike. Um, do you have a Twitter account? Uh, are you on Twitter? I'm not, no. I, oh, I, okay. I keep meaning to and I keep not doing it. Um, <laughs> okay. I'm, on Facebook, I'm on Facebook and I don't tweet. I need to tweet. <laughs> okay. It's addictive. <laughs> yeah, so I gather. I, I, keep, I keep having um, meetings with people who've got tweet deck on their phones and then yeah, they, they make all these strange wobbling sounds as we talk. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, I was gonna say it was there. It was an honor talking with you. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, guys. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you. Okay. okay. Cheers, guys. Okay. Bye. Yeah, see you, Mike. Bye. Um. So, well, let's continue a little bit the podcast. Um, okay. Sure. Okay. Um. Did anything have happened this week? Uh, as far as pop culture, not really. There's not a really. lot of lot of awful stuff going on in the world. <laughs> <laughs> and as far as uh, uh, well, Hervey, I know you know about Trayvon Martin, and uh, oh yeah, and uh, just recently in San Diego, there was a woman, um, and uh, she was an Iraqi um, immigrant. Uh, who was uh, nearly beaten to death, and she's brain dead now um, by American nationalists. So, yeah, things are uh, things are getting pretty pretty terrible in the world. Say, so. Yeah, not good. Yeah, so I don't know. That's that's what's been on my mind. How about you guys? Well, uh, what's been on my mind? Uh, Canadian issues, but uh, it doesn't really matter. We have a bunch of copyrights issue and privacy issues and new bills that are coming. Um, it seems like every week we have a new, there's a new bill that the conservatives are bringing up. Um, but besides that, I think, I don't know, things are changing. I don't know what's happening all across the place. Everything is uh, kind of crazy. Yeah, yeah. Um, I definitely, that's, that's the vibe I'm getting too. Yeah. How about, how about you, Andy? Yeah, just uh, the whole Trayvon Martin thing. I've been following it really closely, and I'm actually glad to see that you know the FBI and federal government stepping in to check us out. And uh, it's just so it's amazing that these things still can happen in today's America and today's you know society. Mm-hmm. But the fact that you know a lot of people are coming together to look at this and bring awareness to it and try to find a way to create at least some kind. 
seeing this horror movie, man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, here's one of the interesting uh, developments out of that story is um, the uh, the new Black Panthers have offered a bounty for... Um, I can't think of the guy's name right now, but the guy who shot... Uh, Zimmerman. Uh, Zimmerman. Yeah. yeah, Zimmerman, that's it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I saw that. That's, that's pretty... Yeah, wow. Yeah, that's wrong. I mean, we I mean, it, this. We don't want him to be hurt. We just want him to be brought to justice. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, hurting him. Won't, I'd rather he rot in jail for years and and so on. That. Yeah. I mean, what we're gonna? They're gonna do like another bloodbath or something? You know, like. Yeah. What is what? What is it gonna? People who support well, Zimmerman and protect he, him right now are only gonna say, "See, see, see, we were right." Yeah, exactly. It's, I mean, it's going to make a martyr out of him. Yeah, there's no point. There's no point to that. I mean, just bring him to justice. I guess let justice run its course. Apparently, it's going to kick in soon. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, without the laws that we've established, a lot of them take their course. And without, this, uh, you know, at least putting our faith in that system to do its job, yeah. um, there's it, you have anarchy, and that's not the answer. No, that's not the answer at all. I mean, just let the system work. Uh, there probably were some delays and some mistakes originally, but I don't think they're going to make any more mistakes. Uh, I think they're very aware that, well, the world is looking at them because this yeah. thing uh, is has spilled out outside of the U.S. and I'm not in the U.S. and everyone's everyone is uh, all my friends and every like people I tweet that are Canadians are all putting hoodies hoodie pictures of themselves. Like I yeah. know, like middle-aged women putting hoodies on their on their Facebook account now and, and so on. So, I mean, this people are following, so I'm, I know they're going to do the right thing. They're going to, he's going to be tried eventually. He's going to be uh, indicted for something, whatever he did. Uh, yeah. And justice going to follow, you know, it, the system's going to kick in and it's going to work. Um, there's no need to have a separate black Panther, whatever that is wrong. This is just wrong. Um, he was a. It, it, it's what's interesting. Let's talk about the vigilante aspect. People have been talking about that. I mean, in comics, there's so many vigilantes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, this, this is almost straight for, out of a comic book in a sense. Yeah. Um, and we're so used to that. And when it happens in real life, uh, someone who actually takes justice in his own hands, uh, we see how. If there was a real Batman or a real whatever, we probably wouldn't like it very much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I think the yeah. thing is, you know, when we have these uh, comic book vigilantes, they're always um, idyllic. You know, they're always our ideal perception of what a vigilante would be. Even the Punisher, uh, a murdering psychopath, we still give him like a heart of gold, you know. And um, the reality is, if there was somebody like the Punisher out there, he would be some. He would have some extremist view uh, in some way, either leaning to the right or the left. He would either be a xenophobe yeah. or he would, you know, um, be a militant, uh, you know, uh, whatever. Anarchist or something. Yeah, and that's exactly it, you know. Um, there's a character, the closest I would think that was uh, to someone like Zimmerman, well, in the opposite, maybe in the Black Panther way, uh, what was his name? The the guy from uh, Squadron Supreme, um, from the um, <laughs> uh, Nighthawk. 
Yeah, I think that's what. Yeah, I think that's what his name was. Uh, the new version, the version that was written by um, what's his name? In uh, uh, that was from the early two thousands. That series, the guy who wrote Thor. Uh, Walt Simonson. Uh, no, no, the the new Thor. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, he wrote yeah. that series. Uh, it's actually a lot of those are reviewed at the bin, actually. <laughs> um, and he wrote the new Squadron Supreme. I think it was called uh, Supreme Power or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And the the Nighthawk character was actually a black extremist going after neo Nazis and so on, um, and killing them cold blooded. And probably that was probably the closest that I've seen. Uh, well kind of a type of Zimmerman type of character. Um, so sometimes it, it is, I guess, fiction does catch up to reality, I guess. Uh, or the opposite reality catches up to fiction. Um, but that's always like an, a marginalized fiction as well. You know, it's 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 labeled as adult fiction or, uh, you know, something else. I mean, Squadron Supreme isn't something that you could uh, ask somebody on the street, you know, hey, who was in Squadron Supreme? And they'd be like, oh... You know, uh, Nighthawk, and no, they would have no idea. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Know? It was so. called uh, Supreme Power. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. I remember that. And yeah, some of those have been reviewed at the bin. Oh boy, from way back, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 2003. I can see one of those reviews right now. It's Michael J. Strutzinski. Yeah, and he used to work with Gary Frank. Yeah, yeah. He had a long, uh, amazing Spider-Man run. Yeah. So that's interesting sometimes, I guess, uh, fiction and reality, uh, which probably was the theme of uh, today with uh, Mike Carey's work. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. I think, well, I, you know, it's, I kind of wanted to get into that um, about the, the political narrative and stuff. And um, I mean, that's, it's just a long discussion, but I think things like immigration and stuff, you can definitely see that narrative at work. I mean, I kind of wrote about that. Um, in an article a little while ago about how every time we're in a, uh, in an e economic uh, recession, we create like this vitriolic anti-immigration campaign, like we see today in Arizona and Alabama. But I mean, you know, you trace it back to the forties when all the vets came home from world war two and, uh, things like operation wetback, like it's just so in your face, but it's, it's a national uh, discourse, you know, and yeah. it, it sort of takes over every aspect of your perception of things like immigration, you know? It is. Um, you guys are following the U.S. Obviously, you guys are... Uh, there's going to be an election for you guys uh, later this year. Mm -hmm. um, are you guys following the Republican uh, candidates? It's I try every... not to. They, no. they make me sick. <laughs> look, because every yeah. week there's something kind of uh, interesting uh, to say it. I mean... Yeah, it's it's like a circus, man. And the thing that's dangerous about most of these guys, I mean, it, it, they represent a minority of Americans that are right, uh, the Christian right extremists, you know, and people that think rape babies uh, should be, <laughs> you know, uh, left to uh, be born. You shouldn't be able to have an abortion if you're raped and impregnated. And people that think that... Uh, uh, you know, you should speak uh, English to be an American or, uh, <laughs> you know, it's some really out there concepts, but there's, there's people that support these guys, you know? Yeah. 
that's what's so frustrating about when the media covers it too. Is like you look at someone like Rick Santorum who just scares the living daylights out of me with some yeah. of his ideas. And yeah. you know, yeah, he might be winning some of these delegates in the the primary, but really seriously, uh, does he speak for America? No, he doesn't. He speaks for a small marginal aspect, like you're saying. But it makes it look like that that's the way the country is necessarily going. And granted, there are a lot of a lot of movements that support him, a lot of people that support him, but overall, it's, it's, it's not what America is or what America is about. And I just find it so frustrating that he's on the news every day and, you know, they're talking about him so much. But then again, it, the flip side to that is, too, since he does get so much attention and so many of his extremist views are out there, it really kind of shows people like, wow, is this really someone we'd want to vote for? Yeah, exactly, man. So I, I think the coverage is good in, in some way, um, mm-hmm. just because it, it's making people so sick of that uh, rhetoric, I think. I think people are genuinely becoming sick of that like uber-Christian rhetoric, and I, I think that's it's a healthy thing for the country. I think it's time that we we, we move past that definitively, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a reason there's a separation of church and state. Yeah. And yeah. it seems like... You know, these people that say, well, America is a Christian nation. No, it's a nation with a majority of Christians in it. Yeah. It's not, it's not a Christian nation. You know, a lot of extreme right-wingers try to set up, you know, there's, there's Jesus, the apostles, and the founding fathers. Well, if they really knew about the founding fathers, most of them were either atheistic or totally against religion because of what yeah. they had just been with the colonies and the whole reason that America was set up in the first place. Government has, should have no say. Yeah, and uh, you know they, they, they're so much over freedom, freedom, but only freedom as it applies to their narrow, limited theology, which is frightening as well. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, Beth Davy Stavka uh, posted something interesting on Facebook um, the other day about this, about how uh, the right right wing Christians want a nation of Christians that speak only English. You know, they're all white. Um, and they conform to whatever uh, religious strictures are in place. But Jesus was a brown-skinned man who didn't speak English, yeah. hated the, you know, the Pharisees and the... And gave out free health care. Yeah. And something <laughs> yeah. about um, yep. helping yeah. a prostitute. Yeah, and helping a prostitute. Yes. Yep. Yeah. So, I don't know. It's, it's so... Uh, it's just hypocritical uh, across the board. And people... It's hard for me to believe that people don't see that, but when you talk about a narrative, I think the uh, socio-political uh, narrative and the religious narrative um, of today, it, it blinds people to that. Um, you talk about poor people being told by their church that God wants you to be poor, but if you're rich, it's because God is you know, uh, uh, rewarding you. Yeah, and it's like... Come on, like, <laughs> see through the bullshit already. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's a, these people that are using this, they're, they're, I mean, the overall message of Christianity, you know, the, the message of Jesus, put it that way, you know, is because others, like neighbor, those are great, great tenets. But when these people take that, that one good thing about it and then use it to perpetuate their own system of control, what they want, Mm-hmm. That's what's so dangerous, and that's yeah. what is so frightening when, you know, somebody says, well, like, 
for you guys because I'm not exactly sure how it is uh, do people actually still go to church in the US like is that because here in Canada only they say only at most at most 20% of people still go most people wow 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 uh, how is it in the states well, I can only I can only ex uh, speak from experience um, and I have a confession to make <laughs> I was actually I was um, born and raised in uh the Philadelphia area, and I, my grandparents were devout Mennonites, so I was raised a, a, a reformed Mennonite, which meant that I went to church uh, every Sunday and sometimes Wednesday nights as well, um, and a lot of the people in my community, uh, you know, and other neighboring communities went to church uh, just as often. And um, it seemed like a good majority of people were, you know, church-going Christians. And out here it's the same way, but I would say that it's uh, more so Catholics, um, because there's a lot of... Uh, Latino, yeah. Yeah, Latino, Chicano, Catholics here, and uh, also Filipinos, and, um, you know, other Catholic... Uh, uh, groups, yeah. Groups, yeah. Uh, But yeah, it seems like a, a large portion of the San Diego population is also uh, church going. Hmm. Well, I mean, don't be afraid. I mean, I, I I almost went every Sunday as a kid. Also, yeah. I think I was even an altar boy because obviously I was a Catholic kid. Mm -hmm. um, but that was kind of the thing to do when I was a kid. But now, uh, yeah. Well, I come from Montreal, which has very beautiful churches every second street. Yeah, yeah. Every second street, there's a church and a beautiful one, not a cheap one, a beautiful one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, and well, now those churches are being turned into condos and uh, and uh, recreation rooms for communities. Really? Yeah, I mean, there's just too many of them. But there's, <laughs> I mean, well, you've you've been there. I mean, there's a church yeah. practically every five block. There's a church in Montreal. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think I think that kind of creates that uh, that cool uh, gothic look of uh, Montreal. Yeah, <laughs> it's part of the architecture. I mean, there's a yeah, church yeah. all over the place, and they're nice. Uh, but now, I mean, <laughs> uh, what the government has been doing is uh, they're shutting most of them down because I mean, people are not even going. People don't care anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Even well, I think it's a good thing because I think it's a drain on taxpayers dollars you know it's well they're uh, turning them into they're they're actually considered like uh not, not national well national treasures because i mean yeah. they are beautiful i mean they're beautiful buildings mm -hmm. so they're, they're not going to demolish them they're just yeah. going to turn them into something like the often it's what they become like recreational something that the community mm -hmm. can use or something like that and they sell them to um yeah they, they, they tend to sell them as a uh, rec places and so on 
Very cool. Um, or a few have become condos. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> but then, like, well, like, like, like you know, I grew up Catholic. I was an altar boy, and I was in the Pittsburgh area of Pennsylvania. But I've lived in South Carolina now. Yeah. Um, for twenty, for twenty, twenty six, twenty seven years, something like that. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, we're, there's a church on every corner in South Carolina too, and they're all, you know. Uh, Southern Baptist, and they're all really politically active. And uh, as you've seen through the Republican primary, it's not trying to have its way. We have President Newt Gingrich, which is even, yeah. I, I don't want to say he's more frightening than President Santana, but just as. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of interesting to see the, the politics that happen around me in this area, because I'm you know, pretty much the opposite of all of what I see. <laughs> yeah, and, and Santorum's from Pennsylvania. As well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But on, yeah. on a different note, I was wondering why you were a Pirates fan, but you are a Pennsylvania native as well, huh? Yes, yeah. Um, oh, awesome. Actually, I am, I'm from Beaver Falls, the city that uh, Joe Mayer came from. Oh, okay. That's awesome, man. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Um, so, yeah, all, all the old loyalties die hard. I should be a Panthers fan by all, <laughs> you know, by all intelligence and reckoning, but you, know, you can't get the black and gold out of you, so, yeah, I'm a Steelers Pirates fan all the way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's cool, man. Cool. Um, anyway, don't I, I still support the Canadians in Montreal, so. Yeah. I mean, that. well, that's a religion over there anyway, so. <laughs> so it's very hard not to be a uh, Habs fan, even if you, even if you left Montreal, I mean, you just can't, it's. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. it's a religion over there, so. <laughs> Yeah, that's what it is with the, the Steelers, especially. It's a, it's a religion, and uh, I've, I've been I've been more loyal to that religion than I have uh, my Catholic religion growing up. So <laughs> yeah. you see that's where the, you see how how deep the ties run there. Yeah, but also um, I was gonna say I'm a huge Penguins fan too. As you mentioned the uh, yeah. hockey, and I'm I'm so glad that Crosby saw me back. Ooh, <laughs> yay! I'm a he's not, I'm he's a Flyers, over Flyers guy. Guy. Oh, I'm on that one. <laughs> yeah, I'm a, I'm a Phillies, Eagles, and Flyers fan, so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we got a lot to be excited about the Phillies. They've been good for years now. Yeah, I know. It's, man, they're a perennial contender. Yep, they have a dynasty now, which is awesome. I mean, yeah. I grew up, I grew up, uh, you know, idolizing the 93 Phillies, uh, you know, mm-hmm. ten, yeah. ten, 10 years after that World Series that they lost. And, uh, now I finally have a team that, you know, uh, I not only remember, but, you know, they're current and I can root for them and not be disappointed every year. <laughs> so well, yeah, I've, I've been disappointed for 20 seasons. So hopefully this year, <laughs> hopefully this year we can at least be a 500 team. Well, I mean, the, the, nice. the Pirates are kind of like the Cubs in that they're, they're good for bringing up, um, farm talent and then, mm-hmm. and then trading it away. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, they actually went and signed um, Andrew McCutcheon to a long-term deal, and they actually traded for A.J. Burnett. Now, whether he's going to be great, I think he's going to be a better pitcher in the National League than he was in the American League. If he, yeah, yeah. You know, I think he's, so, you know, they got him, and they signed Eric Bedard. If he can stay healthy, those two guys can win a lot of games, especially in the Central Division, now that Pujols and Fielder are gone. Yeah. And we might actually see a, a season to be happy about for the Pirates, but... That would be awesome. Yeah, that'd yeah. be great. <laughs> cool. 
Um, well, cool, guys. It was awesome talking with you here on this. I'm going to have to jump off in a little yep. bit because I got some things coming up. But, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I think we should I think we should wrap up. Okay. Um, but uh, it was awesome having you on, Andy. Um, yeah, when are you coming back, Andy? Um, I, I would love to be on it every week, but when you guys have it set up for Wednesday, I, I can't make Wednesday. Yeah. Um, well, maybe, can, uh, maybe being when you schedule changes something to work in a couple Tuesdays or something, that'd be awesome. Yeah, that would be good. Uh, yeah, actually, this, uh, not this coming... Oh, we're still recording, by the way, Dan. We can't talk about that. Let's do it after. Well, let's yeah, end the podcast now. Let's end the podcast now and we can talk about it. Well, uh, yeah, let's... Uh, we want to thank uh, Mike Carey real quick before we end the, the podcast. Thank him again. And uh, thank all of our listeners. And uh, we'll see you next week. See you guys, thanks. All right. Bye.